Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. The words to that song were powerful words. Let me just remind you what it said. Noel, Noel, come and see what God has done. The story of amazing love, the light of the world given for us. Noel, that's what the Christmas season is. In fact, that is the truth of all of history, what God has done. When you look at what has happened in all of the world throughout all the centuries, what you're looking at is the hand of God moving, the hand of God in operation. It's his story. In fact, believe it or not, I once had a high school teacher who told us in our class that history is really his story. That tells you how old I am. They would never say that today. But they said that in our high school when I was a kid. That history is really his story. And when you look at history, it is oftentimes easy to believe that it's his story because you see the hand of God working. You see nations rising, nations falling. You see God protecting his people. You see God revealing his grace and his mercy. But there are also those times when you look at history when it seems like darkness is winning and not the light. When 58 people are shot going to a concert in Las Vegas, it seems like darkness is winning. When you look at the terrible fires that are breaking out again all throughout uh, throughout California, destroying so many structures, many and most of those homes, killing people, it seems like darkness is winning. When terrorists kill over 300 innocent men, women, and children in an Egyptian mosque just a few months ago, it seems like darkness is winning. When a lone gunman enters into a church building in Texas and kills 26 worshipers a few weeks ago, it seems like darkness is winning. With conflict all over the world the way we see it today, Every part of our world is touched by it. It can seem like darkness is winning, but this is what John chapter 1 verse 5 tells us and promises us, and never forget this, in the midst of what seems to be happening in the world, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish the light of our God. No matter how bad it seems in your life, Darkness can never extinguish the good and the perfect that our God is going to bring to pass. Listen to how some other translations render that particular verse. The Living Bible says, His life is the light. You want to know what the light is? His life is the light. And it shines through the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And the contemporary English version puts it this way, The light keeps shining in the dark, and darkness has never put it out. Never has, never will. 
It's interesting to me that the Bible calls Jesus the light in, these, in this particular verse because when Jesus was born, the nighttime announcement of his birth was accompanied by the light, the light of a star. And this is what the Bible says happened in Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed and behold the star which they had seen in the east, went before them till it came and it stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Then being divinely warned, in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. As I read through that scripture a few days ago, it became very apparent to me that three different groups of people are mentioned in this, these verses that are following a star. They're going after a star, and it dawned on me that all of us are following some sort of star. So the question is, what star are you following? That's a very important question to ask yourself. As we get ready to enter into Christmas and into a new year, you need to know what star you're really following. I first of all look at the life of a man by the name of Herod. He was king over Israel at that time. Of course, Israel's under Roman rule, so he was a figurehead. But Herod was following the star of personal power of personal gain. He was following the star of influence, of position, of control. He wanted to control. He wanted to dominate the people. That was his heart. So what did he do when he heard about the birth of a newborn king? What, did he rejoice? Was he excited? No, the Bible says he worried, he fretted. In fact, he put a plan together to keep that new king from rising to power that he himself might keep his power and his control. And so feigning a, a desire to go and worship the, the, the new king, he told the wise men to find out where the new king had been born and where he was and report back to him so that he too could go and worship the child. But it was a ruse. Verse number three tells us what was truly in his heart. It says, he was troubled 
and all Jerusalem with him. You know, Herod was a cruel man. History tells us about his life. He permitted no one, not even his own family, to interfere with his rule and his power. So cruel was Herod, you may not know this about him, but he had his own wife and two of her brothers killed because he suspected them of treason. So it's no surprise to us when he did what he did next, when he found out that the wise men weren't coming back to report to him after all, many of you know what he did. It tells us in verse 16 of that same chapter, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders, look at that, to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. He did this, of course, to increase the chances that he would destroy the life of a new king that might threaten his power, a new king who might be his competition. But God had already warned Joseph and Mary and said, get out of Bethlehem and go to Egypt and there escape the long reach of Herod. That's the way it is with power. It's always been that way. Someone once said, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, and it is very true. Herod had been absolutely corrupted to the point that he would kill innocent children to satisfy his craving for power. History is loaded with people who have had an unwise obsession with power, who followed the, the star of personal power. They would do nearly anything to get it and nearly anything to keep it. You know who many of those people are. Most recently, you can think of people like Hitler, people like Stalin. In our modern time, Muslim terrorists who will do anything to control and to have power. We see it all over the world today. But history also records the results of that kind of obsession. And in nearly every case, it's the story of ruined lives. The life of the individual pursuing the power and the lives of those that he has influenced, those around him. This is what Jesus had to say about power in Mark chapter 10. He says, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of everyone else. Herod followed the star of personal power, and it brought great pain to an entire nation. But the people themselves were also following a star. The people of Israel, they followed the star of culture and religion. I picked this up also in verse number three, where Matthew says, not only was Herod troubled, but all Jerusalem with him. What a statement. The whole city was in an uproar about the announcement of this new king. The word troubled here literally means to stir or to agitate. Other translations of the Bible use words like 
worried. All of Jerusalem was worried, agitated inside, terrified. It's another word that's used by other translation, disturbed. But they were worried and terrified and disturbed because they were following the wrong star. You hitch your wagon to the wrong star and it will destroy your life. And that is the truth. The devil wants to kill, steal, and destroy your future. And the easiest way for him to do that is to get you to follow the wrong star. And if you do that, it'll begin to, de to destroy the inner you and it'll destroy your future. The people, they were, they were troubled because they followed what I would call the star of peace at any price. Don't rock the boat. Don't get anybody upset. Don't, don't ever stand for something that someone might be offended by. That was the culture that they were living in in their own lives. So news of a new king would mean they knew that Herod would increase his cruelty in order to find that new king, to find and kill him, and they didn't want that to happen. They wanted the status quo. To them, better no new king than the price it would cost to get a new king. But not just the people as a whole. The Jewish religious leaders were also troubled. Because you see, their religion had given them a certain amount of also position and control over the people. And they didn't want to lose that. So word of a new king wasn't met with joy it wasn't met with excitement. In fact, quite the contrary. It was met with fear because the status quo was the star that the people and the Jewish leaders were following. You know, the truth is, it's never easy to buck culture. It never has been. Here's another truth. If you're going to be a fully committed follower of Christ, you're going to buck the culture. The culture will never fully accept who we are and what we have to say. We don't go around blowing up people and killing people and, and, and staking a claim in, in mass murder. No, we don't do those things because we live a life that is called upon to love, to love people who disagree with us. And yet, just because we share the message of truth, it becomes... It becomes a point of agitation to other people. And so therefore, just the message that we carry within us, not the acts that we do, but just the message that we carry causes people to hate us, to reject us, and to resist us. And, though, and so because of that culture around us, many who want to follow Christ do so from afar. They keep Jesus and faith at a distance from their lives because they follow more the star of acceptance. They follow the star of, of everybody's love. They follow the star of being included. And so they compromise their values. They compromise their principles at the altar of acceptance. Besides, it's obviously easiest to do that. But God's word is clear in 1 John chapter 2. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world, because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him.
For all of this that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God will abide forever. You know, I just thought in my own heart, Father, this Christmas season, and as we get ready to enter into a, a brand new year with all of its potential and possibilities, it's a great time for us to reevaluate our souls, to reevaluate our hearts. What do you really love in life? What star are you following in your life? Do you really love the world? I mean, Jesus is in there too, but do you primarily love the world? I understand that. It's a strong temptation. I just want to remind you what verse 17 says again. The world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Which brings me to the third group of people who followed a star. It was the wise men. They followed the star to Christ. It's interesting to me that, I don't know if you ever thought about this, only, only Gentiles got this right. Think about that. Only Gentiles got this right. The people of Israel, they missed the star almost completely. But Gentile wise men from the east saw the star and they followed the star. You know, it just goes to show that the love of God and the salvation of God is not offered just to Jews, but his love and his salvation is offered to all men and all women who will accept him. Matthew chapter 2 verses 9 through 11 tells us that the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Herod, he wanted to destroy the king. The Jews, they wanted to ignore the king. But the wise men, they sought the king and they found him. And I guess it just goes to prove the point that wise men still seek him. Wise men still seek him. So let me ask you, what light are you following? What star are you going after in your life? Are you going after social acceptance and being in with the in crowd? Are you going after the star of personal power? You know, you're out after money or wealth. Maybe it's just being out after survival. Pastor, I just want to survive. Or maybe it's as simple as just hoping that your family can get along. That would be a star for you. You know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with any of those things. They can become wrong when they take the place of Jesus Christ in your life. And that's what I just want to tell you this morning. There's nothing more important in your life this coming new year than following the right star. 
than following the star that will take you to abundant life in this world and to salvation, eternal life in the world that is to come. If you let any of those things take the place of the star of Jesus in your life, I want you to know you're going to end up in one big disappointment and disaster. In fact, I will tell you that there are many in this room that if we had the time today to hear their testimonies would warn us, don't follow the wrong star. They've done it. It's destroyed them. It's torn them up. Today, they're following the star of Christ and the Lord is restoring them. But the pain of the past is still there. If you can avoid it, you'll be so much wiser to follow the star of his light because you don't have to follow the wrong star. That's why Jesus came to be the light of the world given for us, Emmanuel. Let's give him praise today. Hallelujah. Great stories have great beginnings. The Christmas story didn't begin 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. It began at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light and there was light. God said that the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness, and it was very good. In this new world, God created life, and it burst all around. He made the stars, and the moons, and the fields, and the flowers. He made animals of all kinds. He declared them good. But God withheld his most beautiful creation until last. God created man and woman, and he loved them and wanted them to share his joy, and it was good. This world was new and peaceful and perfect. But something changed. The marvelous creation of man, crafted in the image of the Creator, could not, would not obey one simple request, and everything changed. The hope and promise of peace began to dim. Where there was joy in this new world, shame and despair crept in. And now a new darkness separated man from God. A perfect creation, fractured, broken. But God loved his creation. He promised that the light would return, a new light that would overcome this present darkness. But generation after generation toiled through the growing darkness, struggling in vain to work through it. A nation watching, waiting, wavering. Thousands of years and hundreds of stories detailing God's desire for his children to remain faithful, but they could not, would not. And then 
It was as if the light was finally eclipsed and there were no stories to tell. No sign of God. No sign of light. After 400 years of silence and darkness, on a starry night, a light appeared in the sky and captured the attention of traveling mystics. And above a pasture, the veil of heaven was ripped open and an angelic host appeared to unsuspecting shepherds. God was speaking again. God was fulfilling his promise made thousands and thousands of years ago. In a town called Bethlehem, it was as if God said, let there be light. And it was good, very, very good. A new light, a light that would never be extinguished. This new light that entered the world would separate the darkness from man forevermore. A light of hope, peace, restoration. Yes, God was restoring his creation, his marvelous creation. A light that the darkness could not overcome. The anticipated savior, the light of life, the light of the world. That day, this day, let there be light. Amen. We have much to praise God for, don't we? The newborn king is a personal king, and he can change everything in your life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. If you need today to make a decision to make Jesus the star of your life, the light that you follow from this day forward, and you would like to make that decision to make him king and ruler of your life, I would be honored to pray with you. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.